0: This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these, I delight, declares the Lord. The second reading, it's 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, starting at verse 1. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. So that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let me ask a question. What... Christian leaders do you trust? It's a really important question if you're not a Christian believer. There are all sorts of stripes of Christianity around. How can you tell which are genuine? It's important if you are a Christian, you move to a new area, you look to join a church. How do you know where real trustworthy leadership is? Some will be responsible for recruiting or appointing leaders. Some will be heading into Christian leadership themselves. And all of us should be supporting and encouraging leaders. So it's a good question. What kind of Christian leaders ought we to encourage and to trust? Or to put it more sharply, what kind of Christian leaders would you trust with your money? That's the point at issue in 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He wants them to join a collection Uh, a big collection of money to go to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And one of the big questions in uh, 2 Corinthians is, can they trust him? Is he a trustworthy Christian leader? Does he have the marks of authenticity about him? Now, chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians is in some ways quite a complicated um, chapter. But I think there are two clear principles that we can get hold of. I hope so. The uh, the, the first concerns what the trustworthy Christian leader does. I've called it apostolic weapons. And the second, what the authentic Christian leader wants. I've called that apostolic ambitions. And I think that'll help us to see these two uh, really big things. So first, verses 1 to 11. The first mark I think we find here of trustworthy Christian leadership is that the Christian leader uh, uses only apostolic weapons. By weapons, I mean the instruments uh, used for the struggle, the challenges of Christian leadership. And I want us to to, to see what these weapons are. Notice first their source. Verse 1, Paul appeals to them by the meekness or humility and gentleness of Christ. That's a surprising way to start, in a way. I appeal to you, I'm making a strong appeal to you, uh, to trust me as a trustworthy leader, and I'm going to do it by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Following the one who said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Matthew 11, For I am the impressive leader. I am the Führer. I am the big man so loved in many cultures in leadership. That's why you should take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And yet that's not what the Lord Jesus said, is it? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. He led gently. Humbly, he died in abject humility on the cross. And the gospel that he gave us is a foolish gospel of a man crucified in weakness. That is the source of Paul's appeal, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. But before very long, we find the opposite. I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid, they say, when face to face with you, so when I come and visit your church, I am, frankly, a bit pathetic. But I'm bold when I'm away. A reference, probably, to the strong letter he'd had to write to them. There, there are references to that in chapters 2 and 7. He'd had to write a strong letter to them. And so they're, they're saying, some of them, he's a coward, because he only writes the strong things when he's far away. But he's a bully. He's like a a puppy pretending to be a rottweiler from the safety of the garden fence. That's what he is. But when you get him present, he's pathetic. And so he says, verse verse 2, I beg you that when I come, he's going to visit again, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people. And he's not talking about all the church in Corinth. He's talking about some of them. They may be people who've come in from outside. We don't know exactly who they are, although I think they 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 appear in the next few chapters. I I, I expect to have to be bold towards some people. And the problem with them, verse 2, is that they think we live by the standards of the world. That is to say, they think the game we're playing is the same game that they're playing. They think that the leadership stuff we're doing works the same way by the same rules as the leadership stuff that they're used to. One of the Greek uh, philosophers, Epictetus, apparently said that a a, a preacher, a philosophical teacher, should never be thin and pale, because if he is, his testimony won't carry the same weight. And that's the culture of Corinth, and it's the culture of much of today. We want people who will be impressive leaders. And Paul says, no, we're not playing that game. They say, they think we are, and they think we're not playing it very well. But it's a little bit, say, like, um, watching the rugby on Friday evening and saying, I thought George Ford, man of the match, I thought it was rubbish. I didn't see him do a single slam dunk in the entire game. See, what it will, he wasn't playing that game, he was playing rugby. (laughs) It's a little bit like that. Paul is saying, though we live in the world, we're on the same playing field in a sense, verse 3. We're not waging war as the world does. We're fighting it differently. I'm ashamed to say that somewhere on my bookshelves, I've got a book by Dale Carnegie entitled How to Develop Self-Confidence and Influence People by Public Speaking. That would have sold well in Corinth. They would have loved that. I'm afraid I haven't really got hold of it myself. But um, they, 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 they would have loved that in Corinth. And they say, that's the game we think we're playing. That's the game we think Paul should be playing. And he doesn't seem very good at it. He doesn't seem very confident or influential in his public speaking. But Paul says, no, we're playing a different game. Verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And we need to attend to this. On the contrary, they, and we'll think what they are in a minute, they have divine power, God's power, to demolish strongholds. And the point Paul is is, is, is coming to is this. The game he's playing, if I can put it like that loosely, the the, the the warfare he's engaged in is warfare for the human heart. And the human heart is a stronghold. You and I love to think that we're neutral, open-minded people yeah, in conversation. Just persuade me. Just tell me the arguments, and I'll, I'll be persuaded if they're, if they're true. The truth is our hearts are strongholds. C.S. Lewis, before his conversion, said, I had wanted to call my soul my own. And that's the human heart. It's a stronghold. It's, it's like a great castle. I'm going to make my decisions. Oh, I'll happily engage in a bit of conversation with you, no problem. But if you threaten my heart, the core of my decision-making, my being, then the defenses go right up. There's no way I'm going to be stormed by you. But Paul says we have weapons which do that and which have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments. That's not just philosophical arguments, but reckonings, thinkings. And every pretension, that is high-mindedness, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. God can only be known on our knees in humility. God cannot be known as an equal. God is only known when we bow before him. And the human heart sets itself up with pretensions against the knowledge of God as strongholds of pride. But I think I know best. And Paul says, we have weapons that do not just change human behavior, but they will lay siege to the human heart. And verse 5, they take captive every thought And if you look at that word thought in 2 Corinthians, you find it it always has a negative connotation. It's used of Satan's thoughts, of dull thoughts, of blinded thoughts, of deceived thoughts. Human thoughts in our arrogance. And Paul says we have apostolic weapons which will lay siege to a human heart and make it obedient to Christ. Now, the weapons of the world are so easy to mistake for this heart-changing power. Because on the face of it, they work so well. I was talking to one of our students at Cornhill from Africa this week, and he was telling me that in his country, Nobody wants to simply open up the Bible and preach and teach the Bible. No, no he said they want motivational thinking. They want impressive thinking. And the, the, the big names are Benny Hinn and Maurice Cerullo and a man with the wonderful name of Creflo Dollar, who is reputedly the richest preacher in the world. And it's those kinds of men, he said, they're the, they're the big names in my country. And the point Paul is making that that sort of man can fill a stadium... But he cannot change a human heart. And it's not just in that kind of culture, because this same student was telling me that in the Anglican village church where he's placed at Cornhill, where the minister is seeking to preach the gospel of Christ, there is vigorous opposition. And it's not that the people in this middle-class village church want Creflo dollar to come to their church. But they're having a debate about an inquirer's course. And there's a choice between a slightly sexier inquirer's course that doesn't look at the Bible very much and a slightly less sexy inquirer's course that looks at the Bible a lot. And people in the church are saying, no, 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 we want the one that works. Never mind if there's not much Bible in it. That's the one we want. And it's the the Corinthian spirit again. And it mistakes fake power for heart-changing power. And Paul says, we've got weapons which are humanly unimpressive. And he's speaking, you read elsewhere, he's speaking of the gospel of the cross and the lordship of Jesus, which is humanly unimpressive. But he says, that can lay siege to a human heart. That can change people deeply on the inside, unimpressive though it is. And we'll see a little bit more as we, we read on. Verse 6, he says, we'll be ready when we, we visit to punish every act of disobedience, that is the, the people who are opposing the apostolic gospel, once your obedience, that is the obedience of the whole church, is complete. When the whole church uh, comes around to apostolic loyalty, then those who dis- disobey will, will be will be punished, their power will be removed. So verse 7, 8, he says, if, 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 if anyone's confident he belongs to Christ, and these people are very confident, not just that they belong, but they have a special relationship with Christ, consider that we do, we apostles do, just as much as them. And I, even if I boast somewhat freely, he says, about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, he's echoing something in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is told, um you, you've got to I'm giving you authority, says God, to break down and build up. And the point in Jeremiah's ministry was there was a whole bunch of breaking down had to happen first before the people of God could be built up. And it's the same with Paul. I remember a few years ago when the Shard was going to be built, Carolyn and I would wander up at a weekend and we'd see the previous building, I can't remember it now, being knocked down. But of course it had to be knocked down before the foundations could be put in for the new building. You can't build two buildings on the same site. And, and they're saying to Paul, your ministry is destructive. You're having to say all these negative things. And he's saying, no, my ministry is constructive, but we've got to destroy the fortresses of unbelief and pride first. So there's got to be a, a negative side to it, and then there'll be the building up of the people of God in the church, he says. So verse 9, I don't want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. I'm not just trying to bully you. Because people were saying, verse 10, his letters are weighty and forceful. He can write a good letter. But in person, when he comes, he's unimpressive, unimpressive. Uh, There are hints in the New Testament he may have had some disfigurement or some disability that made him unimpressive. He could never have run for prime minister or president. He'd have needed a lot of dentistry and stuff before. He could have begun to run in our culture for any high-profile job like that. Um, In person, he's unimpressive. His speaking amounts to nothing. It is an irony, isn't it, that the Apostle Paul would probably not have been selected to be the minister for any of our churches. If he'd come to preach with a view, as they do in some churches, he would never have been selected. I suspect he got in, in grammatical knot, tied up in grammatical knots, as he does sometimes in his letters. I think they'd have said, here's Paul, he can't speak very well. Here's somebody else, never mind that they don't preach the gospel and the lordship of Christ, but boy, can they speak. And they'd all vote for the, the other one, wouldn't they? It's, a, it's, a, it's a humbling irony, that. But the interesting thing is, and I was thinking about this this morning, it's his letters that we've got. And we wouldn't be any better off if the Apostle Paul could come here this morning instead of one of the regular preaching team. He probably wouldn't preach as well, dare I say it. (laughs) But it's his letters that have the power. It's his letters that have the power. Because his letters preach the gospel of the cross and the lordship of Jesus. And so the question that we need to ask is, does a Christian leader preach the message of the cross and the lordship of Jesus? Because if they don't, it doesn't matter if they're eloquent. They're not using apostolic weapons. And it's a a strange thing, isn't it, that there are some people... Who have a tremendous power to wow a crowd. I, I've never been at a meeting where he was speaking, but I, I, I remember meeting somebody once who had been at a meeting where where Bill Clinton was speaking, and they said it was astonishing that the, the kind of chemistry that he had and the ability to to hold a room and a crowd and 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 to just to the the sheer persuasiveness was astonishing. I don't know if that's right. Now, if that is right, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, although it's very dangerous. And Paul didn't seem to have had that. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the game we're playing. We are playing with apostolic weapons. We are playing with the sober gospel of the cross. Now, friends, I don't think you and I are in danger of wanting to sack Matt and get Creflo Dollar as minister here. I doubt if that is there's a big groundswell for that. Matt, of all the things that keep you awake at night, probably that doesn't need to be one. But but here's the thing: every time in a in, in, in a summer camp or a youth group or church, our primary question is, did the person speak well? We are slipping that way. Every time we are assessing people by the skill or the eloquence or their ability to communicate and so on, we are slipping that way. We should be asking the question, was that person using apostolic weapons? And the apostolic weapons are the message of the cross and the lordship of Jesus. If they were using those weapons, that's faithful, authentic Christianity. If they weren't, it wasn't. Enough on that. Now, apostolic ambitions. From verse 12, Paul's uh, focus changes. Notice in this last uh, passage, uh, section, from verse uh, 12 onwards, the word limits. You see it in verse uh, 13, boasting beyond proper limits. You see it in verse 15, going beyond our limits. Notice also, in verse thirteen, the expression um, the field or sphere of service. And in verse fifteen you get something very similar. Verse fifteen you get um, an area of activity. It's the same word. And then in verse sixteen, you get the the, 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 the word regions or territory. And the, the focus is on where people are working and and the 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 contrast Paul wants to draw is between Paul and his fellow apostles, his apostolic team, and his opponents who are wannabe apostles, really. that's, That's really what they are. So look at the contrast. Verse 12, we don't dare to classify or compare ourselves with, and he's being sarcastic with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. These are people whose Christian world is self-referential. They write their own references. And as one writer said, when you do that, it's hard not to achieve complete success. So they, they puff one another. They puff themselves. They're always saying how great they are how great I am. And Paul says, I wouldn't dare to compare myself with them because they're so impressive. But listen to this verse 13. We're not going to boast beyond proper limits. We're not going to go out of bounds off limits where they have. We're going to confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us. That is the mission field, a field that reaches even to you. In other words, we've got the right to speak to you guys because you're in the field God has assigned to us. You're in our territory, and you're not in their territory. They are intruders. So verse 14, we're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we hadn't come to you. In other words, we were the church planters who came to you when you were virgin, unreached territory. We did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. We brought you the gospel. So verse 15, we're not going out of bounds, beyond limits, by boasting of work done by others. We're not parasites. We're not we didn't come to Corinth and find that other people have been laboring away with the gospel and the church had been built under their leadership, and then we barge in as though we owned the place. No, we don't do that. We're not parasites, we're pioneers. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity, sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. And he's saying, not just Corinth. So we can preach, verse 16, the gospel in the regions beyond you. There used to be a wonderful title for a missionary organization. It was called the Regions Beyond Missionary Union. I remember as a young Christian thinking what an extraordinary title that was, a name for a mission agency, the regions beyond. And it, it it's it got going in the late nineteenth century. And and it it it's its aim was to go outside of the rich and civilized areas, to the regions beyond. In those days it was the bits beyond the British Empire. Um, you know, those little bits of the world that weren't painted red. Um you know, so they'd go to the, the, the these poor marginalized places with the gospel of Christ. And it was taken from the vision of this verse 16. We want to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. We don't want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. So what were these people doing? They came into Corinth where Paul had planted the gospel, planted the church. And under his ministry, the church had been built up. And they breezed in, they looked at it and they thought, hey, there's some rich prosperous, happy, successful, thriving Christians here in this church. I'd like to lead that. So in they came, and they, they tried to, to recruit all these gifted, beautiful, rich Christians in Corinth as free transfers into their team. And Paul says, no, that's not apostolic ambition. Apostolic ambition is to keep seeing the Lordship of Christ reaching out and out and out. Now, friends, that can happen. Can happen today, can't it? A lot of church growth in Bible churches is transfer growth. It's not all wrong. You know, if if somebody moves into a new area, it's a good thing if there's a, a Bible church that they can join. They join it by transfer. That's not a bad thing. But it's not real growth. It's just rearranging the sheep. It's not actual growth. I I was involved in in leading a little church plant some years ago. And um, in God's goodness, things sort of went all right to start with. And people said, oh, it seems to be going well. But I knew that most of the growth was transfer growth. Most of the growth was men and women who were already Christians who just shifted over to us, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes less good reasons, sometimes just there was a bit more buzz about what was going on with us. There were worldly reasons, and they thought that I feel happier here, and so on. So they 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 went the buzz was. Um, but it wasn't real growth. Real growth is much harder, but that should be our ambition. That's the apostolic ambition. Paul says I'm I'm longing to see the Lordship of Christ reaching out and out and out and out into places and people and communities and hospitals and schools and workplaces and neighborhoods where people haven't bowed the knee to Christ. That's what I want to be. Somebody said that the Apostle Paul was like the early American frontiersman who would always move further west if they could see smoke from another settler's cabin. Isn't that good? There's another settler there, I can see the smoke from their cabin, so I'm going further west. That's a good spirit, isn't it? That's a good spirit. That's the the Apostle Paul's spirit. I want to go further, further, further. Because, verse um 16, we don't want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. But instead, and he quotes from the Jeremiah reading we had, um, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And in this context, he's referring, I take it to the Lord Jesus. I want to boast not in, as that passage has, not in my strength or wisdom or riches, not in the free transfers I've got across from, from people where other people have been working. I want to boast in the Lord Jesus and seeing the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus reaching into one life and another where that sovereignty has not yet reached. That's what I long to do. Now, if I can speak personally for a moment, I, I've had a terrific privilege for the last 11 years of being in a Christian training job, training godly, gifted, lovely men and women for Christian ministry. It's, it's been a great job and a huge privilege. But looking back, the time when I was a school teacher in a school where there were hardly any Christians and we were trying to reach the, 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 the kids in that school for Jesus was a better time. At the time when I was trying to lead a, a little church plant in an area where there weren't very many Christians trying to reach local people for Jesus was a better time. That is the apostolic ambition, always wanting to reach out, not just wanting to, to build where other people have already built, but always wanting to reach out. And it's a really healthy thing, isn't it, when a Christian church is led and, and, and driven by apostolic weapons... The sober message of the cross and the lordship of Jesus, unimpressive though it is. And where the, the kind of mindset and culture of a church is the apostolic ambition, always wanting to reach out. Isn't that a good thing? I haven't always had that myself, but I'm, I'm challenged by the apostle in this, this passage. I want to reach out. I want to reach out. I want to reach where people haven't been reached for Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean leaving London. There are millions of people in Jesus in London who've not been reached for Jesus. But it means the very opposite of the kind of um, cozy, uh buzzy huddle um of a Christian church that begins to be be, be self um confident or complacent. It means always the, the 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 pressure of God, the apostolic ambition to reach out because we long to boast in the Lord. We long to boast not in ourselves, not in our gifts, not in our goodness, but in the Lord Jesus. And the power that the Lord Jesus has to storm the human heart and to take people on the inside so that their lives are changed forever. And it's always going to be a challenge to stick with that faithfully because there will always be pseudo-Christianities around which are outwardly more impressive, outwardly more successful, which can fill a stadium, but which have no power to change the human heart. May God give us grace to do that and to be that kind of church And for those of us who are in leadership, may God give us grace to be that kind of leader. Amen.